Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today on the podcast, we're talking about location privacy. How do we derive value from sensitive data at the same time as we protect people's privacy? To help us understand that, I've invited Elizabeth Hine on the podcast today. Elizabeth is the Vice President of Compliance and Data Protection at Foursquare, and this is part of a mini-series that I am working on together with Foursquare. So if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you might have listened to an episode called All of the Places in the World. This episode was focused on the collection of points of interest data. How do you go about collecting that? What are the processes you need to go through to make it useful? And this is meant to be a companion episode to the episode you're listening to now. On a side note, I've been working on a project at mapscaping.com and it's a job board. So if you go to mapscaping.com slash jobs, you can watch it develop. So there's not a great deal happening there right now, but there will be in the future. I would also love to hear your comments and, and feedback on it. Or perhaps you have some suggestions. That would be really helpful. Anyway, this is my latest project, mapscaping.com slash jobs. Um, I'll be talking more about it in the future. But for the time being, please uh, feel free to check it out. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to the podcast. You are the VP of Compliance and Data Protection at a company called Foursquare. Could you just take a minute to introduce yourself, please? And then we'll, we'll dive into what that actually means. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. My background is I'm a lawyer. And prior to that, I was always really interested in international relations. And uh, when I went to law school, I focused on international law, got my master's in international affairs. From there, went into private practice in the Washington, D.C. area, focusing on global trade. So my background is actually imports, exports, international trade in, in services and products. In 2015, I joined a Fortune 100 company as their global trade council. And I was told, you need to do privacy as well. And I thought, well, if I can do global trade, I mean, privacy can't be that hard. That was right when the EU passed the General Data Protection Regulation, soon after we had California pass a law. And slowly and slowly, my job became less global trade and all privacy. I was the counsel there at that company, so I, I, I didn't own the program of privacy. Foursquare gave me the opportunity to come over and really build out my vision of what privacy can be in an organization. And so that's, that is what I do. I work with engineers. I work with the product team. I work with stakeholders throughout the company to make sure that the products we're building keep people in mind. We protect their data. We're cognizant of the data that we have, how we process it, and the products that we put out. So that is my day-to-day -day job here. And I love it. I enjoy it very much. I just want to check something before, before we carry on in the conversation here. You, you said you were a lawyer, is anything that you're about to say in this conversation, should we consider that to be legal advice? Nothing that I say in this conversation should be considered as legal advice. Perfect. I always hear that on an American podcast and I thought, well, maybe, just maybe we should have it in this one as well. That's great. <laughs> so you work with privacy and location data. Just out of curiosity, at this Fortune 500 company that you used to work for, were you also working with location data or was it privacy in general? The company, actually, I can say it, it was HP. So I worked a lot with data that would have come in through printers and PCs. So location data was some of the data that we dealt with at the time. And I guess the next question is, what is the problem with privacy and location data as you see it? To provide the background, in privacy law, there's two types of data. 
you have personal data and then you have sensitive personal data. Personal data, things like my name, my email address, sensitive personal data gets into things like racial or ethnic origin, political opinions, and especially in the United States, location data. Location data is considered sensitive because it tells you exactly where a person is in the world or their patterns moving around. And that gives a lot of insight into an individual and, and sensitive locations that they may visit. So uh, by the time this podcast episode is published, I will have already published a few episodes around Foursquare, how they collect that data, the processes, or some of the processes anyway, that the data is run through. So I'd like to refer back to those, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes if people are interested in knowing more about that. But let's focus on this idea of, of privacy and location data just for a second, because knowing that your business is points of interest data, it is location data. How do you design for privacy? What, what is it that you do in Foursquare to protect our privacy? Yeah, we take a number of different steps when it comes to protecting privacy. One of the most critical things that we do is we abide by a policy called the Enhanced Standards for Precise Location Information. And this is something that we help to write with the Network Advertising Initiative, which is an organization here in the U.S. with companies like ours. And this standard, what it does is we agree to not share location data around certain locations that are viewed generally as being sensitive. So for example, churches, cancer facilities, or abortion clinics, all of these locations, we have systems in place to bar any individual level location data from leaving the four square walls. That doesn't mean the location itself can't be included in our places database or points of interest database, for example. There's nothing inherently wrong with a church or medical facilities. It's the movement pattern. It's the fact that an individual visited that location that is sensitive. And so all of that, we take steps to remove all movement data that is associated with those locations prior to providing any of our end products. In addition to that, we also have steps where we put things like a blur on the timestamp. So instead of giving an exact timestamp of when an individual visits a location, we have a plus minus certain number of hours. So within a certain block, that person visited a location. We also don't give out the raw latitude and longitude for an individual. So we associate all of the location data with a point of interest, a commercial point of interest. So a grocery store between the hours of noon and four o'clock would be the kind of information that you would see. We also take steps to remove home and work locations. And the way we do that is through inferences. So when we see a device show up at a particular location repeatedly for a certain number of hours, so if my device were to show up in my home between the evenings of six and 10, over a period of time, we're going to assume that that is your home and we're going to take that data out of our data sets. Same for work, just different hours during the day. We're going to take that out of our data sets as well. So that won't be a part of any of our products that go out to our customers. And just so I'm clear on this, you're saying there's nothing wrong with collecting information about a, a, you know, a point of interest, a, a location, a church, a warehouse, a, a place of business. That's okay. The problem is the association with individuals and their movement to and from or between those places. Am I understanding this correctly? Yes, that's correct. 
And so, so one of the things you said was, it sounded like you were adding noise to the data. I think you said something like blurring the, the timestamp. Is there any other ways you add noise to the data to help protect people's privacy? We do the blurring of the timestamp. We are also working on products that are aggregated. So when I say aggregated, I mean it's not going to be at an individual level. So we will be collating data, insights about a number of individuals, not just a single person. And so the level of aggregation, though, that we use, there is no set aggregation level. You know, you, you can only use data if it comes from X number of people. It's going to depend on the location. And I think that's where it's really important for me to be working with our engineers and our product teams as we look at what controls need to be there. There is no one size fits all. We have to be talking all the time to look at the sensitivity, to hear. I like to hear the opinions of the engineers, of the product folks. How many is enough that you can't reverse engineer and dis discover once you look at a movement pattern that that person can be re-identified? So we're doing things like that. An example there would be areas of low population density that may require a coarser resolution. So if there are fewer people in an area that you are looking at for example, to build a grocery store, maybe we need to zoom out a little bit and look at a broader area with more individuals. And so we may put limits on what our products will be able to do in the future. We can also do aggregation around percentages of a total. So instead of you knowing how many people visited, maybe it's helpful to you and you're, you're getting sufficient insight to know that 50% of the total people in a certain area came from this town in order to visit the grocery store. 30% came from the next town over to visit the grocery store. What you don't know is the exact number of people, but you can see the percentage of the total and that can be visualized you know, with yellow, green, red. So lots of cool things that you can do with aggregated data visualization, insights, where you don't even need to know the individual movement pattern. Yeah, that, that sounds like a, a really smart approach to it. Is there any form of geographic aggregating going on here as well? <laughs> I'm probably not the best person to answer this question. We would need a, a data scientist, but it really comes to like the zooming out, a coarser resolution in the area that you're looking at, as I understand it. So this is probably not for production, but Looking at hex tiles, for example, instead of having just a small, you know, a few hex tiles that we look at, we may need to zo zoom out and give you a bigger area to be looking at instead of the smaller one. So when we talk about adding noise to the data or aggregating the data, aren't we just losing a lot of accuracy? Uh, are we missing out on the potential benefits? Potentially. This really gets into an area called differential privacy, which is an area that a lot of data scientists are exploring, we acknowledge that to have high precision, high accuracy, you're going to have lower privacy. Where can you make a trade-off to increase privacy, but perhaps have some a little bit less accuracy in what you're looking at? When you're looking at trends, when you're looking at something more broadly, you don't need that individual level data. So maybe in that scenario, that trade-off can be more for privacy protection as opposed to accuracy. So this really goes back to the privacy controls that you put in place are going to be use case specific. They're going to depend on what it is you're trying to prove out where you can sacrifice some of the accuracy. You can do the aggregation. You can present 
a more holistic view. When you need that accuracy, that's when you have to get into the the more granular levels of data, but you still need to have some protections in place, pseudonymization of identifiers, or maybe ephemeral IDs where you're rotating IDs after a period of time or swapping time periods so that my travel patterns of one week are actually assigned to the following week. And we just reverse things like that. So this is all a really hot area, um, an area for a data scientist and not necessarily me as a lawyer, but definitely exciting work being done in the differential privacy space. Perfect. You you have to forgive me. I'm I'm used to talking to you know data scientists, very technical people, and, and I realize you're technical too, but just in a you know a slightly different different Being silo. Different, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so forgive me if some of those these more sort of technical questions creep in from time to time. That's okay. So you've mentioned a lot of different ways you help sort of disassociate individuals from, from places. There's this uh, idea around aggregating data, adding noise to it, removing sensitive places from the data set, or at least movements of individuals to and from these sensitive places from the data set. And and you talked earlier on about a a standard that that you actually, or Foursquare, helped create. In that standard, does it say that you have to do these things here in this way? Or is this Foursquare's understanding of how they best protect people's privacy? The standard just sets forth what kinds of locations are considered sensitive in broad categories. So we still need to go through our categorization of places, and I actually do that with the product team, looking at thousands of categories to make a determination as to whether or not there should be a restriction on these categories. And the the categorization is an internal process for us. So we do that. The execution of the standard is really up to the companies that have signed on to this. And, And not all companies that work in the location data space have signed on to this particular standard. So it is unique to Foursquare and a couple of other organizations. The implementation could vary across the, the board. Okay. So let's pretend for a second I'm, I'm buying data. How do I know that the company I'm buying data from is you know, doing their best to protect people's privacy, collecting data in, in an ethical way, and, and then protecting that data once they have it in their position? So I think first you look at this, if you're worried about restricted places or, or mindful of restricted places, You can see who's signed on to the enhanced standards on the NAI's website. I always like to talk to customers and I like to talk to our vendors. I like to know where data is coming from. I like to talk to the privacy people. I can see through pretty quickly. I get the high level answers or platitudes about privacy is important and here's what we do. The bullets match what's on our website. But if I can't dig down into the conversation and understand how did you get consent? How do you prove that you have consent? How do you audit your vendors? What steps are you taking? Those are the kinds of things that I ask our vendors and I think I expect to be asked by our customers and am prepared to answer. Okay, so, so the, your answer is then, if, if I'm buying data from someone you know, like Foursquare, I should be asking those questions and I should expect to get some sort of form of documentation back. Well, this is what our strategy looks like this is what we're doing, this is what we're not doing, kind of thing. There should be some proof behind it. At least that's what I'm hearing from you. There should be some proof. And you want to be working with companies that have someone that knows privacy. You know, in the, in the space of compliance, there's always resource constraints. And so some companies may not have the team that I have. We're a team of four. Other companies may have one person. But when it's somebody's part-time job, 
when it's someone in the engineering space who kind of dabbles in privacy, those are the companies that I'm leery of. Privacy is a difficult space. It has been changing significantly year over year. And you need to stay on top of those changes. Those impact how vendors can collect and use data. When I think about location privacy, privacy of data in general, as a person who has apps installed on their phone, for example, as a person who uses the, the, the internet, I'm generally very suspicious. Like someone's collecting my data and I just assume that they're going to do the worst possible thing with it. And then I have to decide with, am I okay with that? Before you mentioned that you talk a lot with the customers, is there a feeling from your side that they want everything they can get their hands on? Or do they also not want the responsibility of, of having to protect the, the, the sensitive data? Because in my mind, I can see this going either way. If you have very granular data about people, you can more effectively manipulate them or send message, the right messages to them. You could also use it for, for a lot of great things as well, right? It's not all bad. But my point is that you could be very granular about your approach, about your messaging, about who you're reaching. And the other side is, oh, I've got this nightmare of, of living up to these data standards of protecting people's privacy. And I realize this is a very long-winded question, but where, where do you see your customers landing? Are they, give me everything you have, I want to be as granular as possible, or you know, I, I don't want the responsibility of having the sensitive data? These are great questions, and I have lots of thoughts on this and have certainly talked to a number of customers. Just to step back a second, I think it's important for people to understand, especially you know, listeners who are not from the United States, to date, the United States has been far behind in its privacy laws. And within the last couple of years, we've seen the actual states implement laws. And so right now, we have California, we've got four other states that have privacy laws. There's new laws coming into effect. The FTC is conducting some investigation into the field of data brokering, commercial or ad tech algorithms. And so what we are seeing in the United States, especially, and this really impacts us as a company, you are absolutely right that some customers want that granular data and we will not give that to them. That's shifting. I'm actually seeing a lot of customers who don't want to touch location data. And so we're having discussions about how can we not only protect users, individuals whose data we may receive, or we have our own apps too. So we receive data directly, first party data directly from our apps. How do we not only protect that data, but protect our enterprise customers from even receiving the location data, which is sensitive in the first place? So can they visualize, can they use the data to build things without actually seeing the granular data? These are the types of discussions that I have with our engineers right now based on feedback that I've gotten from customers. Okay. And is, is that a shift that you're seeing? So instead of people asking for the data themselves, they're saying, can you please build these products? We would like to consume those products without the headache of having the responsibility of the sensitive data. That's absolutely correct. Like I said before, location data is sensitive. So if a customer doesn't have to collect the data, they don't need to worry about obtaining the right consents because you need to have opt-in consent for the collection of sensitive data. They don't have the security concerns if the data is coming to us and they can have the benefit of the data without the risk associated with that location data. We've been in this space for long enough that we have the expertise, the security, the knowledge in privacy to be able to build these tools for them. 
And I, I guess we've been talking about risk here, and I have a few ideas floating around in my head of, of how this data could be used that would put other people at risk. But, but maybe you have some, some examples you could share with us. How can this go wrong with, with this kind of data? Yeah, unfortunately, there have been some really serious examples in the last couple of years. They've happened in the United States. Uh, in 2021, there was a report about a Catholic bishop whose location data and data from his device was used to basically out him and reveal that he was gay and visited gay bars while traveling for the church. He was forced to resign. We've also seen location data become a very hot topic in the United States because of a Supreme Court case called Dobbs. That came out, it leaked in, I think, May 2022 and came out officially in January, June 2022. That case overturned a longstanding case, Roe versus Wade, which was uh, the case that allowed for abortions in the United States. What Dobbs did was said, there's no more federal right to abortion. Rather, we're going to leave it to each state to decide whether or not they're going to have lawful abortions in those states. What we saw after that is suddenly location data coming from a phone becomes really important to states or states attorneys general who may look to prosecute abortion cases. So for example, if someone lives in a state that prohibits abortion and they travel to another state in order to have an abortion, what are the authorities in that first state going to do? Are they going to subpoena the data from that phone? to prove that the person went to another state and visited an abortion clinic. This really threw location data in the news in a way that we had never seen before. And it's certainly an important topic. This case came right up, came out right at the time where the NAI's restricted places policy came out. So the timing of that was, was good. We were able to respond to that. However, we had already had this practice in place for a number of years. So that's another case that's really driven concerns around location data here in the U.S. I just read last week about a group in um, a state that continues to collect location data, and they give that. It's, it's a nonprofit organization. They give that data to the Catholic Church to try to ensure their priests are adhering to their vows of celibacy, so looking for whether or not there are certain apps on their phone, like dating apps, and they can correlate that to where a person may have visited, like a a gay bar, like the example with the Catholic priest. Another concern we see and we're very mindful of is the government's interest in location data. Just this week, there was an article about the FBI admitting that they had been purchasing location data from certain vendors to help in anti-terrorism efforts. That's something that the restricted places policy or the enhanced standards prohibits. We will not sell location data to the government. We, of course, have to respond to lawful subpoenas and legal requests, but we will not sell location data at an individual level to government organizations so as to further protect individuals from surveillance. These are some pretty heavy topics. I mean, we're, we're not just talking about the, the Nike shoes ad following me around the internet here. We're talking about people's lives being destroyed. I guess I'm just surprised that it has just happened. A lot of this stuff has happened quite recently. I mean, my understanding was that, that people would have got this a, a long time ago. People would have figured out, hey, location data is 
deeply private and is extremely sensitive, why don't we protect it? How do you see this changing going forwards? I don't see it changing. I think people have become more sensitive to location data being private. And I've always taken the position that location data is sensitive data. It doesn't matter what the law says. It is deeply personal. What I think we need to be mindful of in this community where we use location data for broader insights or to understand the world better or movement in the world is that data, well, data is not in and of itself good or bad. How we use that data, the purposes for which we use that data could be good, could be bad. And so for us, when we think about privacy by design, that's the key key thing in privacy. We want to build in privacy from very moment that you have an idea. We want to be thinking about what are the potential privacy impacts. This is where I encourage data scientists, engineers, product leaders in this space. Well, data is not good or bad. Location data isn't just data. Location data is tied to an individual. And so it becomes almost a moral and ethical obligation when we're in this field to be thinking about potential impact to the people whose location data we may be exposed to. So that is my call to action. That's something I talk about a lot. And I work with our engineers so they're sensitized to it isn't just data. These are people that we're looking at. And we need to treat that data with respect and keep it confidential. Well, this is a great call to action. Um, I really, really appreciate you you sharing that with us. I, I think this also might be a great segue into transparency and consent. So, so you mentioned the idea before of consent. Businesses weren't necessarily equipped to protect this data and they couldn't prove that they had collected it in, in a way that users had consented to. So c- can we talk a little bit about this, for example? Because, I mean, this is complicated stuff. It's hard to imagine all the different use cases for, for my location data. How are you being transparent about what you're planning to do with the data and how do you get consent for it in a way that people understand what they're consenting to? This is a great challenge that I have as a privacy lawyer and a privacy practitioner. One of the things I'm required to do is draft these privacy notices. You've all seen them and flown right by them when you're downloading a new app or on a website that contain all of these legally required disclosures. They're lengthy. They're difficult to read. I completely understand that. What I face and what I, you know, I think the industry as a whole struggles with is how do you explain the collection of data and in particular location data in a way that makes sense and that's not as scary to a user? So these are questions I'm asking myself and working on with my team every day. One of the things that I acknowledge is that as a lawyer, I am probably not best positioned to be the average reader or app user to understand what's being collected. And so I pull in different people who are less familiar with privacy, who may not fully understand location data. So I may bring in people from other parts of our company, not engineering, not marketing, or not product, to look at what we're putting together. Does it make sense to you? You're not in the weeds of location data. Do we need visuals? Do we need short videos. I'm really thinking about going forward. How are we going to explain products that we're currently building that aggregate data? And you know, I, I'm really fascinated with use cases. How can I explain this in a way that addresses the concerns from Dobbs in some of these cases while still making it clear that, yes, your location data is being collected, but 
We're using it to understand broad patterns. These are all questions I, I'm really fascinated with because it involves a level of human psychology too, understanding and being comfortable with the data. There is a level of trust when it comes to working with consumers. If you don't trust the company collecting the data, you're not going to give them the data. And so how do I convey that what we are doing is safe? We're not interested in you individually. We're interested in a bigger picture, insights about the world itself. I think this is such a hard problem to solve. I mean, it's pretty clear to me, and I'm sure to you as well, that the benefits that can be gained from from collecting this data and, and analyzing it, right? I, I think everyone listening to this podcast will, will understand that we can do a lot of great things with this. But also, I think we're, we're looking at an audience of people which are probably have a should at least have a very healthy level of skepticism these days. And these are complicated ideas. And you have, what, like five seconds, 10 seconds to get a very complicated idea across to a, a non-expert in the field and ask for their consent. I think it's an incredibly tough problem to solve. When you look at GDPR, for example, do you think this has gone a long way or part of the way to, to solving some, some of these problems? I think that GDPR has certainly advanced the conversation. There's downsides of the GDPR, and we can get into that, whether the GDPR is effective. But if nothing else, it's driving companies or anyone who collects and uses data to be more mindful and thoughtful of what that data is, how they are using it. It's certainly triggered the U.S. to come and start to legislate on privacy, and I think that that's really important. So if nothing else, it drove the conversation forward. People are becoming more aware. Companies have to demonstrate that they're taking privacy into account throughout the building process. I think that reframing the good in location data is going to be very important in obtaining consent. So right now, like I said, location data is in the news for a lot of negative reasons, but it also can be used to work out best evacuation patterns in the case of a natural disaster, hurricane, flooding. If we understand movement patterns and density of population, then you have things to be able to help individuals and society as a whole. And I think that has been lost in the discussion of location data. So really reframing location data can be used for good. And how do I get that piece across? is the challenge I face. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's a big challenge. Like you say, that reframing of it, we're all too familiar with where it's gone wrong. But the good science, if you will, that those really helpful things that, that, that got us through COVID, that are going to get us through some of the other challenges that we're going to be facing in the near future, don't seem to make the news as often. And I, I think that this is a really good point because there are a bunch of benefits to this. How do we strike that balance between helping people understand the benefits and addressing the concerns around privacy. I think this is going to be a huge challenge going forward. But when you think about location data, privacy in general, in my mind, it's only going to get more regulated. We're, we're only going to be more strict in the way we use it, the way we store it, and, and the things we can do with it. That, that's in my mind. Do you share that sort of thought or, or do you see something else in the future for location privacy? I agree with you. I think there is going to be more regulation. How that regulation is done, though, concerns me. So like I said before, data is not inherently good or bad. And so to classify 
entire categories of data to be sensitive, I think is a dangerous way to regulate. So while I agree that location data is sensitive, you can also get to sensitive inferences using non-sensitive data. So you can take multiple data points that have nothing to do with lat long and perhaps come up with something sensitive just because of inferences that are made. And so for me, it's not just the location. You have to think about the use of the data. What is it we want to use it for? How are we going to use it? What harm could come to the data subject or to the individual whose data we've collected or are using? What's the risk that that location data could be used in a way that harms the individual? These are the things that I think we should be concerned about regulating. So location data in and of itself is not sensitive. We need to be thinking, and this was my call to action, about what could actually impact the data subject, the individual, as a result of the specific use case that you are using it for. A great example here, you can use, it's not location data, but race and ethnicity can be used positively for inclusion, DE&I, civil rights, but you can use that data in a harmful way as well. So the data in and of itself is not bad. How you use it needs to be the way we look at it. And there's a great article by a, a U.S. professor of privacy, Daniel Sola, that I highly recommend, where he talks about data is what data does. You need to regulate the use, not the data itself. So I mean, it, it, this makes a lot of sense, right? I, I'm convinced. Why are the regulations not built in that way then? Because it sounds like a great solution. I think there's going to be a level of education and advocacy as we move forward. I think the U.S. in particular is just on the tip of the iceberg when it comes to privacy regulation. I think that regulators are still understanding what it means to regulate in the privacy space. My experience in the EU has shown me that what the laws do and how companies operate are very different. And while you have great regulators with good intention, they may not understand the ins and outs of how a company operates and how the data can actually be used. So I think there's a level of education that needs to happen, level of advocacy. And I take that upon myself. You know, how do I educate not just consumers, customers, enterprise customers, but also people in the field that are interested in privacy, regulators, students, engineers. I'll talk about it whenever I can because it's important to understand that this is a complex area and you cannot just regulate based on the data. In some ways, is this the, the same tension that we see when we talk about regulation and technology in general? You know, it's difficult to regulate technology. What, what are people going to use it for? What is the technology going to look like in a year's time? You know, it, it's an ever-changing, it's, it's a moving target essentially. Is that similar to, to what you're seeing in terms of location privacy? Exactly. A couple of examples here where you've seen regulation and technology kind of, it doesn't work well. In the United States, we have what's called export controls. And in the probably early 2000s, maybe late 90s, there was export controls written for encryption. And it was very specific, the types of encryption that were controlled. Well, 10 years later, that encryption is completely out of date. And so how do you regulate something that hasn't been developed yet? Whenever you see regulation that tries to very specifically regulate a certain thing, that's, that's a challenge in this world, in this space where the technology is moving faster 
than the law and the regulations. And we're thinking about things that have never been invented and so can't be contemplated by legislators as they're thinking through and drafting legislation. Another great example here where it, it's just tough to regulate, this is in the EU. For listeners in the EU, I'm sure when you land on a website and you get the cookie banner pop up, you've got massive amount of choices just in a cookie banner. Can I do this? Can we collect analytics data? Can we do all of these things? And you have to consent to that. But is that meaningful consent? Or are you just so sick of seeing these banners and want it to go away that you're going to click close, move on, do whatever you can to get that banner to go away without really understanding what the cookies being placed, how they're being used? So again, that's a regulation that requires consent for those things. But is that really the best thing? Maybe there's another way. Yeah. Well, if you find another way, let me know, because I am sick of those pop-ups, just like everybody else in the world. But uh, having said that, I, I completely understand why they're there and I understand what they're trying to do. And part of me thinks it's, it's almost like security theater where we're, we're telling each other, oh, that's right. Privacy is important. And that's the message that's being slowly but surely beaten into my brain every time I see that, that cookie banner. So in that way, I guess they're working. They're making me gradually more aware of privacy and what little by little what, what data is being collected. Or is it consent fatigue? that you're just clicking close or consenting because you're tired of seeing the pop-ups. That's something that's talked about a lot in the privacy space, whether consent is really the right way to be getting permissions or being able to use the data. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. I think because if we took this privacy by design to heart and people did it and we could trust that they were doing it, we wouldn't need any of this, right? Correct. Yes, if, if we implemented this and we could all follow a moral compass that protects individuals at the same level, I think that that would be great. I think the reality is there needs to be a baseline. Not everyone thinks about data associated with an individual. Data is just data to them. So we've come a long way in the conversation. We've talked about you know, some of the ways that Foursquare is designing for privacy. We've talked about some of the consequences of, of not doing it the challenges around being transparent and collecting consent for, from users. And then we've got the, this whole mess of, of regulation and technology, you know, the, the tension between those two things. Perhaps mess was the wrong word, but the tension between regulation and technology. My final question to you is, is this overwhelming or is this exciting? Is this the kind of thing where you wake up in the morning and say, yes, you know, we're, we're going to get this, we're going to get through this. I'm excited to be working on this. Or is it overwhelming? It's both. It's exciting. It's overwhelming. I love a challenge. I like to learn new things. And while a lot of the laws right now coming out are very similar and reflective, how you apply those laws to new products, that's the challenge. And that's what I find absolutely fascinating and really enjoy. I love working with our engineers, our product team. We have a governance team who's thinking about how we execute data subject rights. How do we delete? How do we make sure you have access to your data? I love to come in and face these challenges where there's maybe no right answer, but everybody's working together to find the best thing to, to protect that data. And that's what really motivates me in this space. It's not, it's not easy to comply. There is no such thing as perfect compliance. But having the discussions, being challenged by those that you work with in different fields, learning new things, this is what I've always dreamt of doing. And building the program out has just been 
fantastic and and working with people across the company to really embed privacy as part of their thinking is the job that I came here for. Well, Elizabeth, thank you very much. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I've really appreciated you taking the time to, to walk me through this slowly but surely. I, I understand that it's probably been a little bit slow going for someone in your position, but it's important to understand it. And I think you've done a great job of, of helping us do that. So cheers. Really enjoyed talking with you. Before I let you go, there'll be people listening to this that think, well, I, I need to know more about this. I, I want to reach out to this person and I, I want to connect with them. Where could they do that? I'll give you my LinkedIn and you can contact me on LinkedIn and I can provide some links to additional resources. Wonderful. Thanks again, Elizabeth. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Elizabeth Hine, Vice President of Compliance and Data Protection. And while it doesn't sound like a very friendly title, she seems like a very friendly person. So please, if you have questions around this, feel free to reach out to her. And as always, there'll be a link in the show notes that'll help you out with that. So I mentioned this at the start of the episode. This is part of a series of episodes that I'm doing with Foursquare. So if you're interested in knowing more about points of interest data, check out a previous episode. It's called All of the Places in the World. And you might find there are a few parallels between that episode and this episode that you've just listened to now. I also mentioned in the in the introduction that I am working on a, a little side project. It's a job board and you can find it at mapscaping.com slash jobs. So it's still in the development stage now, but there'll be a lot happening there very, very soon. So please keep an eye on it. And if you do take the time to check it out, could you please give me some suggestions, feedback, comments, whatever, anything that you think might be helpful. I, I would really appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much for listening all the way to the end. I really appreciate it. I'll be back again soon. I hope that you'll take the time to join me then. Bye.